Chapter 27 of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jillian Brandt. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Chapter 27. A bonnet gained and a lover lost. My letters have come at last, said Brandon next morning, as he joined his friends at breakfast. My overseer, I suppose, wanted to show his economy, and posted them by Southampton mail, which does not suit me at all. I would rather do without my dinner on mail day than have my letters delayed for nearly a week. And now there is bad news for me. I must leave by first ship. Had I got my letters when you received yours, I should have gone by the mail steamer and saved a month. But I cannot possibly manage to get off so soon. Oh, Mr. Brandon, said Mrs. Phillips calmly, there surely is no such need for hurry. Everything is going to the dogs at my station. I will probably have to buy land at a high price, and there appears to have been a great mismanagement from the accounts I hear. Another six months like the last, and I will be a ruined man. It is very hard that one cannot take a short holiday without suffering so grievously for it. What were your accounts, Phillips? I think you said they were rather unsatisfactory. Not very good, certainly. But not so bad as that comes to. You will look to worry Wilta a little when you return and send me your opinion. I had better entrust you with full powers to act for me, for I should prefer you as my attorney to Grant. I hope he will not be offended at the transfer, said Brandon. Oh, I think not. He took it very reluctantly, for he said his own affairs were enough for him. And perhaps a little more than enough, said Brandon, with a smile. In that case, I will be very glad to do all in my power for you. I have no wish to return to Australia, said Mr. Phillips. If I can possibly afford to live here, with a family like mine, England offers so many advantages. In fact, there is only one place in the world worth living in, and that is London. Very true, if you have enough to live on, said Brandon, shrugging his shoulders. I must go now to work as hard as ever to get things set to rights again. And perhaps in another dozen of years, when I am feeble, old, and gray, I may return and spend the poor remnant of my days in this delightful center of civilization. But with me, fortunately, there are only the two alternatives, either London or the bush of Australia. There is no middle course of life desirable. If I cannot attain the one, I must make the best of the other. Harriet Phillips listened to all this and believed that matters are much worse with Brandon than they really were. She had no fancy for a twelve years' banishment from England, nor for a rough life in the bush. Mr. Brandon had been represented to her as a thriving settler who had made money. She saw the very comfortable style in which her brother lived, and she had no objection to such an establishment for herself. But she was not so particularly fond of Mr. Brandon as to accept for his sake a life so very different and so very much inferior. She felt that she had been deceived. And she did not like being deceived or mistaken, and she still less liked to make mistakes. And instead of blaming herself, she was angry with everyone else, her brother, her sister-in-law, Brandon himself, for leading her to believe that his circumstances were so much better than they were. Of course, he would ask her. He could not help doing so. But as to accepting him, that was quite a different question. She had put on her old bonnet with a grudge at Elsie, and when Mrs. Phillips appeared in the drawing-room ready for the party to the exhibition in all the splendor of her new one, which really looked lovely, and she lovely in it, 
and Harriet caught the reflection of both figures in the large mirror, she felt still more dissatisfied with everybody than she had done before. The gentlemen were ready, and they were just about to start, when a light quick step came to the door, and a little tap was heard. Harriet opened it and was delighted to see Elsie holding in her hand the second bonnet completed, equally beautiful, equally tasteful, and apparently quite as expensive. Oh, Alice, how good of you! What a love of a bonnet! Come in and see, Mr. Hogarth. Look, Mrs. Phillips, look at Alice's clever handiwork. And Alice was introduced, a little unwillingly, into the drawing room to be complimented on her taste and her dispatch, and to shake hands with the two gentlemen. Miss Phillips was too much engrossed with her bonnet, and with the improvement it would make in her appearance, to observe the earnest, anxious looks of her two fancied admirers, as they greeted her sister's lady's maid, or that they looked with interest and concern on her tired face, which, though now a little flushed with excitement, bore to those who knew the circumstances traces of having been up very late and very early over her work. "'I knew she could do it,' Harriet whispered to Mr. Brandon when Alice left the room. "'She is so excessively quick. I never would have said so much about it yesterday if I had not known she could easily do it.' And does not mine look as well as Mrs. Phillips? I said it would. And so she accepted Mr. Hogarth's arm and went to see the pictures with a better judge than Brandon in all the triumph of her new bonnet, the lightest, the most becoming she had ever had in her life. But her influence with Walter Brandon was lost forever. He wished he had Jane Melville with her good common sense or Elsie with her sweet voice and winning ways hanging on his arm instead of Mrs. Phillips, who was very uninteresting to him, though her great beauty and excellent style of dress made her an object of interest to other people, and who always enjoyed being well stared at in public places. But Jane was engaged with her pupils at this time, and Elsie was always kept very busy so that neither of them could accompany the party, and Francis Hogarth felt disappointed, for he had anticipated the society of one or both of them, how curiously the egotist, who fancies everyone is engrossed with him or her, would be disappointed if he or she could see the real thoughts of people about them. How Harriet Phillips would have started if she could have read the hearts of Hogarth and Brandon, and seen what a very infinitesimal share she had in either. Francis was only impelled to pay attention to Miss Phillips by his natural sense of politeness, and by the wish to make the situation of his cousins in the family pleasant, as far as it lay in his power to do so. While Brandon, who had at last struck the keynote of Harriet's character, was astonished to find new proofs of her selfishness and egotism peeping out in the most trifling circumstances. He observed how different her manner was toward him, now that a man of property in the old country had appeared in the circle of her acquaintances, and he could not fail to see that an additional coldness had come over her when his circumstances were supposed to be less flourishing, and this made him rather disappointed to make the most and worst of his bad news. In Derbyshire, where she had her own established place in the household, and where her father and sister Georgina gave way to her so much, she had appeared more amiable than she did now. The armed neutrality which she maintained with her sister-in-law had amused Brandon at first, but now it appeared to him to be unladylike and ungraceful to accept 
of hospitality in her brother's house without any gratitude or any forbearance, he began to question the reality of her very great superiority over Mrs. Phillips. With all her advantages of education and society, she ought to have shown more gentleness and affection both to her brother's wife and his children. He analyzed, as he had never done before, her expressions and weighed her opinions and found they generally had more sound than sense, and her habitual assumption that she knew everything much better than other people became tiresome when he did not believe in her superiority. He began, too, to contrast the charm of the face, when the color went and came with every emotion, with that of one so unimpressible as Harriet Phillips's, whose self-possession was nearly as different from that of Jane Melville as it was from the timidity and diffidence of Elsie. Jane's calmness was the result of a strong will mastering the strong emotions which she really felt, and not in the absence of any powerful feeling or emotion whatever. Brandon had learned to like Jane better, as he knew more of her, and rather enjoyed being preached to by one who could practice as well as preach. He felt that if she was superior to him, she did not look down on him, and she certainly had the power of making him speak well, and of bringing out the very large amount of real useful practical knowledge that he had acquired in his Australian life. Her eagerness to hear everything about Australia and Australians certainly was in pleasing contrast to Miss Phillips's distaste for all things and people colonial. But above all, Miss Phillips's want of consideration for Alice Melville had weaned Mr. Brandon's heart from her. It was not merely unladylike, it was unwomanly. He could not love a wife who had so little sympathy and so little generosity. End of chapter 27. Recording by Jillian Brandt, St. Paul, Minnesota.